So some stats to get us going tonight. Some of these you may know. Roughly 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and that stat right now, it doesn't matter if you're talking about Christians or non-Christians, it's about the same. 50% of marriages end in divorce. About one in three women, one in four men, report having experienced severe physical violence from an intimate partner in their lifetime. About one in five women, one in 13 men, have experienced contact sexual violence by an intimate partner. Global rates of anxiety and depression have increased, some say 25% since the start of the COVID pandemic. Cohabitation rates are up. Marriage rates are down. Screen use is at an all-time high. They say that most people check their phones 58 times a day. Most people spend roughly one minute, 15 seconds on their phone once they pick it up. And we pick up our phones roughly every one hour and 43 minutes. On average, we spend three hours, 15 minutes a day on our phone. 2,617 touches on your screen on average a day, over 5,000 for the heaviest phone users. And many, many other stories, statistics, trends that all converge in such a way that our homes have become unstable, unsafe, depressed, disconnected havens of distraction. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Maybe you've heard Christians or churches talk about unreached places or unreached people groups. You know where the gospel really needs to go. And for sure, there are people and tribes and places and nations where the gospel needs to go. But according to the numbers, there is beginning to be a new unreached people group. And it's the American household. So my friends, Colossians chapter 1 celebrates that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. Everything, all places, that Jesus Christ would be Lord and preeminent. And that includes, my friends, the holy place of your home. So when we say that Jesus Christ is Lord, we must not neglect the household. It doesn't matter tonight if you're single or married, if you're old or young, if you have kids or not. It doesn't matter. Your home, where you live, is meant to be a haven of the holy under the rule and reign of King Jesus. So this is where the lofty theology of Colossians 1 gets really practical. This is where a church called Reality Church hopefully lives in reality. What's happening in your home? 
What's happening in your marriage? What's happening in your relationships? What's happening with your work? What's happening with your kids? Paul the Apostle keeps pressing the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord into new places and new realms as this letter continues to unfold. Last week, we talked about the idea of Jesus Christ being Lord over his church. And yes, he is, the corporate body of Christ. This week, if you couldn't figure it out, we're venturing into your home, my home, our homes. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer, you will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Just a few things, just a few places where Jesus Christ is Lord in your home. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that the scriptures, they were not written to us. You know that? But they were written for us. These letters weren't written to you. Your name is not on this. Reality Church is not the recipient of this letter. The church of the Colossians, they were the ones who received this. It was written to them, but it's written for us. This was written by Paul to a church community nearly 2,000 years ago in ancient times among the Roman Empire. So yes, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's writing to them. So he's writing to their culture and their world and their specifics, their life. But as is the case with all of the Bible, it is very profitable and beneficial for us. But you have to, whenever you come to the Scriptures, acknowledge that there is a culture gap like a 2,000-year culture gap, like an empire culture gap that you have to walk across the bridge of culture to understand. And I think it's worth noting that the, like the impact of these words, like the stuff, I just read a bunch of stuff. Some of the stuff you went, ooh. There's some stuff that you went, oh. There's some stuff that hit you in your head and your heart. You're like, oh, I don't like that. The weight of those words for you hit differently. The stuff that stirs you up, I don't like that. The stuff that stirs you up is probably different than the stuff that stirred them up. So the impact is different depending upon who you are and where you live. But it's important to realize that God has things here for us. What you have here is the same thing that you have in Ephesians chapter 5. Technically, it is a modification of an ancient household code. So this was like written into their legal code. This is Roman 
household code modified by Paul and then written to the church. Have you ever read any Roman household codes? Just for leisure. It's important to read and know. Some of the Roman codes, they go back to Aristotle. But in ancient Roman society, the home wasn't as we think of it. For us, our home is our little family, maybe wife, maybe husband, maybe kids. It's the place that we do our work out here and then we retreat to the home. That wasn't the ancient Roman oikos or household. It involved family and extended family. It involved slaves and the things that you did for work. The household was very different then. And the legal power that governed the household was consolidated to one person, and that was the man. The husband, the father, the master. The... It's all the same person. There was one person who had power in the home. He was called the pater familia, the father of the family. And the father of the family had patria potestas. The father of the family had the power of a father that was very different than the power of the fathers in the rooms here today. Now you're like, I don't give a rip about ancient Roman household codes. I don't care about Roman culture. I'm telling you though, when you read Colossians, you have to understand that this is the water that they swam in. This is the air that they breathed. This patria potestas centered their household around one person. Here, here's some quotes talking about this. The lawgiver of the Romans gave virtually full power to the father over his son, whether he thought proper to imprison him, to scourge him, to put him in chains, keep him at work in the fields, or put him to death. So fathers didn't just ground their kids or take away their phones. They could kill them. Next slide. This included the power of the head of a Roman family over his wife, children, agnatic descendants, meaning from the fatherly line of descendants, slaves and freedmen, including originally the right to punish by death and always embracing complete control over the limited personal and private rights and duties of all members of the family. The husband, the father, the master, the head of the oikos. Like this is built into their legal code. This is not just like your personal moral preference. This is how it had to operate because they said if it didn't, then uprising could happen in the home and the empire may be doomed. Simply put, in the Roman household, there was one person in charge and it was the man. All the power was held by him as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a master, as a boss. So here comes this letter from Paul. What's Paul got to say about the household? Here's what Paul is declaring about the household. Jesus Christ is Lord over your household. And again, the parts that you read and might cringe over are different than the parts that they read and cringed over. But everyone is being asked to reevaluate their response in the household according to Jesus. So this passage does have three components, right? Paul addresses husbands and wives. He addresses children and parents. He addresses slaves and masters. This was the Roman, the Roman oikos. This was the Roman household. 
I will give you the caveat tonight. This is not meant to be an exhaustive teaching on everything that could be said about marriage or parenting or slavery. Like three big topics. I've got another 15, 20 minutes. But as he addresses them, we could cut this this way, husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, masters. But today I want to focus on the bigger picture calibration that Paul is doing here. And instead of slicing it this way, I'm going to choose to take my pastoral knife, I'm going to cut it this way. I want to talk about in this passage the difference being made between those who have power and those who don't. Again, the stuff that got people riled up back then is different than it is today. Some of these verses wouldn't have made a ripple. They're like, of course. Yeah, that's the way it is. And the stuff that gets us fired up, they would have shrugged over. But there are other pieces that would have sent shockwaves through Colossae. Paul said, what? He is saying, what? So let me unpack this. So first, let me talk about those with power, then we'll talk about those with less power. Actually, first we're going to start out with those with less power. Let's talk about the other side of power. So verse 18, wives. Verse 20, children. Verse 23, 22, bondservants. So again, according to Roman household code, all three of these groups, wives, children, slaves, They existed more like property. So for them, they knew their place. It was a world of submission and obedience. And again, this is what the father could do. Next slide. He had the power to, if he wanted to, he could expose an infant offspring. So he could just, I don't want, usually it was if you had a daughter. I don't want her. I can put her outside and leave her to die with no legal ramifications. The father had the right to sell a son into slavery. The father would be the one who would administer physical punishment. The father could end the marriages of his children. I don't like who they married. Boom, they're done. They could violently take the life of a wife, a child, a grandchild, or a slave without legal consequences. The father, the husband, the master had sole authority and power. So like when they hear the household code that says wives submit Or children obey in everything, the children would be like, yeah, like that's, uh, yeah, I know. The wives would be like, "Uh uh-huh, like that's normal. But do you see what Paul does here in this Christian household code? So I'm just going to walk through this. Verse 18, to the wives, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And he doesn't stop there. He says, as is fitting in the Lord. And then he does the same thing in verse 20. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Hop down to verse 22. He addresses the bondservants. Again, just so you know, this is not racial slavery, as it was in the United States. Ancient Roman slavery could happen to any person regardless of race, and someone could then buy themselves out of slavery. It usually was an economic condition. But again, this is not a treatise on slavery. But verse 22, he says, Bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye services, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. And then he adds at the very end, fearing the Lord. So wives, children, slaves, 
Paul is reorienting the one with less power toward their true Lord, who is Jesus. And he's trying to get them to see and understand and realize within their everyday lives that they're not just at the whim of human power, but they're to live their lives fitting, pleasing, and fearing Jesus. Wives, as is fitting in the Lord. Children, it pleases the Lord. Bondservants, fearing the Lord. I haven't had this happen in a long time now that I'm a little older and have a little more gray in my hair. But when I was younger, especially when we were first married, I would often have uh, solicitors come to the door and they would knock on the door and they would either say, are your parents here? I'd be like, nope, they're not here. Or they would use the phrase, maybe you've heard this, is the man of the house here? Have you heard that? Maybe not in a while. They used to say that. Is the man of the house here? Am I speaking to the man of the house? Here's what Paul is saying, though, in this little section. Again, it's short. It's not a whole lot. But what he's saying to the wives and to the children and to the slaves to these people who are treated like property in the Roman Empire legal household. Here's what he's reminding them. Jesus is the man of the house. And that would have set shockwaves through the Roman Empire. You know who the head of the house is? Legal code? It's the man. It's the husband. It's the father. It's the master. Paul says, Jesus is the man of the house. Jesus is the head of the house. Jesus Christ is Lord of your oikos. And all of your relationships are now reoriented around Jesus being Lord. So as you do what you do, as you submit, as you obey, as you honor, do so to Jesus. Because the household is meant to be a haven of holiness where Jesus rules. So what about the the Man, then. What about the husband, the father? What about the pater familia? So Jesus, Paul, I guess, actually, gives some instructions to him that would have been actually very shocking. Verse 19, to the wives. He says, husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And I know, this is where we're like, whoa, what? It's short. There's more that can be said. You can read, actually, Paul's companion letter. It's Ephesians 5, if you want a bit more. But even though it's not lengthy, what he's saying here is actually very revolutionary. Because in this culture, husbands didn't have to do anything for their wives. He's saying, husbands, love your wives. Because in Jesus, with Jesus as Lord, love them. Agape them is the verb he uses, the, the, the word of love that he uses. Not just eros them, not just sexually love them, not just philos them or sibling love them, not just storge them, familial love with them, but agape them. Agape your wives. Love your wives. Unconditionally love your wives. Love them with God-style love, husbands. God-style love your wives, and don't be harsh with them. It's a warning. 
Don't abuse your power. And I know wives like, well, can you give them a little bit more? The scandalizing language actually in Ephesians 5 goes further where Paul calls the husband to love their wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her, laying down his life for her. And then he makes the comparison of husbands loving their wives like Jesus loved the church, and then he goes on to describe Jesus doing womanly work. You read that in Ephesians 5. He washes with the water of the word, removing spots and eliminating wrinkles to present his bride adorned. And he flips the image. Men, I want you to love your wives like Jesus, who does the laundry of the church, deep cleans the sin, and irons her garments. How's that for masculinity? And the pattern holds true for other relationships. Verse 21, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And I know kids are like, a little bit more there too, please. I know it sounds small. (laughs) But I'm telling you that a Roman father didn't care about the emotional distress of his kids. Right? He's like, yeah, put that one outside. She dies. That marriage I don't like is over. And Paul here is calling for a fatherly attunement that puts away provocation and pays attention to the discouragement of his children. Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Can you imagine telling a Roman dad to pay attention to the discouragement of his kids? They'd be like, what is Paul doing? He's flipping the model with the gospel. I've been reading a great book recently on fatherhood. John Tyson wrote it. It's called The Intentional Father. He names five kinds of fathers. The irresponsible father, the ignorant father, the inconsistent father, the involved father, and the intentional father. The irresponsible father is the one, and they happen in our culture and society, they don't even think they have kids. They've given up on the idea that they have to even parent at all, so they just kind of leave, they bail. The ignorant father is the father who's overwhelmed with life, and they just never had the skill or the framework or the model in their own home, and so they just don't even know what they don't know about dealing with their kids. The inconsistent father is the one who is pursuing success at work or other places to such a degree that they're inconsistent. They're there sometimes and other times they're checked out. Either physically or emotionally, they're not there. In America, the ideal father is the involved father who shows up for school activities and plays and sports. I love John Tyson's uh, invitation to be an intentional father. He says the intentional father is someone who takes a specific, customized approach to raise their kid in order to be the dad that his child needs, that you may release them into their legacy. 
It's the father who says, I'm going to take the time and do the work to figure out what are the keys to the heart of my child. It's the child that God's given me. Because all my kids are different. I'm going to figure out what are the keys to their heart. I'm going to figure out how do they tick, how do they work. And not just I'm going to show up every now and again, but I'm going to figure out what is right for you, which may be different than for your sibling. that that's the kind of fatherhood, that vision of fatherhood is in line with the gospel. It is rightly under the lordship of Jesus. It is the man who is willing to give his attention, his attunement, and is looking for intentional ways to form children in the midst of a world that's trying to deform them. And Paul gets really just simple and says, a father's Provoking them and discouraging them doesn't make them flourish. Fathers that get that Jesus Christ is Lord seek to press that into their home. One more area of the Roman household, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And I know, again, in all these, we're like, again, more please. Many modern readers say Paul doesn't go far enough. He doesn't call for the abolition of slavery. And we want loud, large, bold declarations, proclamations. We want Paul to say that slavery is wrong, that no person should be owned. We want emancipation declarations. And I know this section here doesn't do it. But again, let's not lose sight of what is being done. The slave master here is being reminded that he is not the ultimate authority. He's being reminded again that Jesus Christ is Lord of the home, that Jesus is the, quote, man of the house, that he is king, he is Lord. He is the one who rules and reigns even if there's a person who has Roman legal authority, he is not the ultimate authority. And there is a day coming when he will give an account so that the master is encouraged to lead and rule and govern with justice and fairness, equity and humility, knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord. One commentator says the household code is entirely consistent, like this one that Paul writes, is entirely consistent with the universalizing thrust of the letter as a whole in which the tendrils of the Christ event spread out, as it were, to cover the whole surface of life. The tendrils, the binds of the Christ event, this Jesus, life, death, burial, resurrection, Ascension, return, the tendrils of that event now are working its way into everything so that Jesus may be preeminent everywhere. This is not a Sunday-only faith. This is not an every now and again experience. But that Jesus would be preeminent in your home, in your life, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your parenting, in your relationships. Jesus Christ is Lord. Because the ultimate power of the home, in the home, over the home, belongs to Jesus. 
It doesn't belong to the husband. It doesn't belong to the father. It doesn't belong to the master. It doesn't belong to the wife or the child or the slave. And each and every person now is invited to live differently in response to Jesus. So power is different because of Jesus. Power, even as we gave authority and power to some people tonight, it's why I gave them towels. It's a reminder that power is called to serve. Submission, which makes some people go, ah. Submission is not a bad word. Because we look to Jesus, who submitted to the Father, right? His prayer in the garden is, not my will, but your will be done. It's what Jesus did almost all of his entire earthly life. So don't let this world tell you that submission is wrong and oppressive. Now, can it be? Yes. Has it been abused in the past? Yes. But submission is not wrong. As is, Paul says, fitting in the Lord. There's a fitting way of submitting. Obedience isn't wrong either. Kids, obedience isn't wrong either. My kids, obedience isn't wrong either. But not just because I said so, or your mom said so, or not just because good Christians do so. But you want to please the Lord. Please him. All that you do, please him. Oversight is done mindful of the authority of Jesus. So that your marriages, your parenting, your work life, your closest relationships, they don't mirror the way of the empire. They don't mirror just the way of morality or legalism. There's a lot of this stuff that just becomes really legalistic in the name of honoring the scriptures. They really dishonors Jesus. But your home has been created to be a holy place where Jesus Christ is Lord. It's like, what do you do with this? As I close, may I suggest a power audit? So like, how are you responding to those in power over you in your oikos, in your home? Do you fight submission with power plays or passive-aggressive behaviors? Like, are there places where you throw off what others are asking of you? Paul talks about people-pleasing, eye service, insincerity in the way that you respond. So maybe, it's like, Lord Jesus, I want to I live fitting for you, pleasing you. How are you responding? Next slide. How are you treating those among you where you do have power? Are they experiencing love? Are they being loved? Are they being agaped? Might there be some places where you're being too harsh in your tone, in your words? Are they feeling provoked? your kids discouraged? Do they get the sense that I'm operating as the king of the world? I don't know, maybe ask them. 
Maybe they wouldn't feel safe enough to answer. Maybe it's a good question to ask those that you're in community with or those that know you well. Do you see any of this in me? Do you sense this in me? Ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask your roommate, ask your employees, ask your coworkers, ask your friends. May Jesus be more real to you. His rule and his reign more real to you. It stirs different kind of lives. A different kind of home. Different kind of people. Let's pray. Lord, there's all <laughs> there's so much more here that we want it to say, or more things to be clarified or said or added. Um, but Lord, may we take what has been said and receive it as good from you. And so Lord, I pray for the homes represented here, my, my own included. I pray for marriages. I pray for parenting relationships. Both those that have young, young children those who are getting ready to go out of the house, those who have left the house, and now they're trying to navigate parenting adult children. Lord, all these relationships are complex and hard, and there's been abuse done in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask healer. Jesus, would you heal those places? Would you bring those into the light where they can get help? But Lord, I specifically want to pray tonight for the men of our church. Because I think in this passage, they're the ones who are being targeted as the man, as the husband, as the father, and as the master. But I pray for men in our church that would live and love like Jesus and put away any toxic masculinity or for those men that have been wounded in their own upbringing, or maybe they feel unskilled to know how to do this well, may they find in this community help and others that would walk with them toward healing for life and change in a different story moving forward. I pray for the flourishing of our marriages, the flourishing of our families. I pray for those who are single that would maybe hear words of this doesn't mean anything for you and you're less than. Lord, may they feel your pleasure tonight. They're not left out in the flourishing of the kingdom. But may there be richness and repentance and change and growth and opportunities, God where your name can be exalted and good can be sown into the next generation. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.